today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives. And as He comes into our lives, He brings with Him that ongoing and continual work of regeneration, drawing us, empowering us to work in obedience and faithfulness to the Father. Day to day, moment by moment, we're called to walk in obedience, doing the will of the One who saved us who purchased us with the precious blood of His dear Son. It's an ongoing work of maturity within our lives that is called sanctification. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit will bring challenge and trial to your life. He'll require you to re-engineer yourself from the core so that you can become the best version of you. Pastor David teaches you today that Christianity, done right, isn't easy. Once you've truly embraced a love for Jesus, a transformation will begin. You'll realize your flaws and sinful nature, and you'll long to make yourself better. Allow the Holy Spirit to influence and guide you into becoming a better servant for the kingdom. Now here's Pastor David in the book of James chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Practical Faith. If, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, and if, as the Protestant uh, reformers greatly emphasized back in the 16th century, as they stood against the corruption and the abuses that they saw within the Roman Catholic Church of that time, and they declared, in essence, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God, then there's a very important question that needs to be answered. What is faith? Now, some of you, your minds suddenly go to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the essence of things hoped for, the the substance or evidence of things not seen. But what about a practical application? You see, that's a theoretical answer. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's, That's theoretical. What about a practical answer of what is faith. And this is where we're going to find ourselves tonight in our Through the Bible in a Year More or Less study. We're in the New Testament book of James. I believe that James gives us, probably more than any other New Testament uh, writer, a description of practical faith. What does faith with feet look like, in other words? Now, before we go too far, though, we need to understand that uh, James, the book of James was actually one of the 
very highly uh, uh, contested books as far as its inclusion into the canon of Scripture. Uh, in the early centuries, uh, while the canon of scriptures was being formed, uh, uh, while they were trying to determine uh, the, the validity of the writing, trying to, again, accept uh, the, the various letters and the writings of the first century to become what we now have as our Bible, uh, again, uh, are, where are they really inspired word of God? There was a lot of issues that people had with the book of James. Now, there's a few of those areas uh, really of concern, but for the sake of time, I'm going to just take a look at a couple of them. Number one, the actual author of the letter, and then secondly, the, the theme or the intent or the content of the letter. Now, it was believed to be written by James. It says, says at the very beginning, James, a bondservant of the Lord, uh, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem is, is which James? There's actually a few Jameses that we can look at. We can look at James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. Now, he was probably the most prominent that we know of in the scripture to bear that name as one of the disciples. Uh, remember, he and John, together, they were called the sons of thunder because, again, they were the ones, hey, shall we call down hellfire on these guys because they're not with us? And Jesus says, cool your jets. You know, that, no, they're not against us. They're for us, so it's okay. Uh, but we do find out that that particular James was actually beheaded uh, early on in the book of Acts, early on again as the church was taking its place, and well before this letter was actually written. There was also James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, another disciple, but uh, we don't know a whole lot about him. Very little is said about him in the New Testament, and there's no real indication that that would have been the James that wrote this particular letter. Then there's another James, James the father of Judas, the disciple, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. And again, probably not him either. We don't know very much about him. And then the, the, the fourth one is one who is known as James, the brother of our Lord. He seems to be the most likely candidate of all of them, although in the book he doesn't identify himself that way. Now, if it was me, if Jesus was my half-brother, uh, you know, I'd be saying, hi, this is David, half-brother of Jesus, you know. But in his, in his humility, uh, that, that's not the way that he introduces himself. We do know that Jesus had other brothers and sisters, or half-brothers and half-sisters, through the union of Joseph and Mary. Uh, the word tells us that Joseph, again, uh, refrained from relationships with Mary until after Jesus was born. So for him to have brother, half-brothers and sisters... Absolutely, and we see it in the scriptures. They weren't his cousins, they weren't other family members, they were actually his half-brothers and his half-sisters. Now the interesting thing is his, his half-brothers did not believe in him as the Messiah, at least not during the earthly ministry of Jesus. We find that in, this, in the gospel accounts. And yet uh, we find in the book of Acts that actually not only James was there, but also the other brothers of the Lord that were there. We find that in Acts chapter 1. So what made the change from unbelief to belief? During his earthly ministry, they didn't believe him. And then suddenly we find them there in the book of Acts. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 indicates that Jesus actually appeared to James 
right after his resurrection. And I believe it was at that time that James was convinced that Jesus was truly the Savior. And I believe that in turn, he he exchanged that information with his other brothers and his sisters, and they came to faith. Now, we find out that this very same James becomes leader in the church there in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, Paul speaks about James being one of the pillars there in Jerusalem. It was James who moderated uh, what we know as the uh, first uh, church uh, conference or the uh, the council meeting there in Acts chapter 15. And again, uh, when Paul visited Jerusalem, it was James that he brought the greetings and he brought this special love offering to. Though we don't have any record of it in the Bible, uh, it's believed by tradition that that James, the half-brother of the Lord, the author of the book of James, was actually martyred around A.D. 62. And the story relates to us is that actually the Pharisees had taken him up on what was called the pinnacle of the temple. And if you remember in the Gospels, that's where Satan uh, brought Jesus and said, you know, if you, if you cast yourself off, you know, the, God will send angels to protect you in order that you wouldn't dash your feet on the rocks. Well, it's, uh, tradition tells us that the Pharisees took James actually up to that place and pushed him off. Uh, it's about a 100-foot drop from there down into the Kidron Valley below. And then from that, he did not completely die. And so they went down to begin stoning him to death or clubbing him to death. And it's at that point that he had at least enough energy, just like Jesus, just like Stephen, to begin praying for those that were killing him and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So theologians through the years, they pretty well settled the fact that it was James, the half-brother, who wrote the letter. Although, again, the Roman Catholic Church in her effort to, to, to maintain the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, puts James as only related to the Lord, not, uh, not in the bloodline of Mary at all. Now, the, ex- the next issue or, or situation that we look at here uh, is, is the biggest conflict, actually, that we see in the book of James. And that's the theme or the intent of the letter. It's a hurdle that, that many have struggled with through the years and continue with even today. Most prominently, uh, the earlier reformer, Martin Luther. At least in his earlier years, Luther uh, had great difficulty with the book of James, even to the point of calling it the straw epistle. Uh, It has absolutely no value, and he felt that it was actually uh, contradictory to his understanding of being saved by faith alone. He could not pull the two together, at least in his earlier years. Now to Luther and to many of the others who, who followed him, the theme or the intent of James struck the chord of salvation by works. And it struck that all too loudly for them. And so they, they questioned its inspiration. They questioned uh, uh, even the validity of having that book within the scriptures. But uh, be careful. You might think that that controversy was only years ago, uh, and you'd be wrong. Actually, the debate even continues on. Uh, Douglas Moo reminds us that in the history of Christian theology, there's littered throughout it debris left over from the intense theological debates on precisely that point. One might, uh, again, uh, uh, point out here, for example, the controversy among Anglican 
theologians in the late 17th and early 18th century, and even to a 1980s debate between Zane Hodges and John MacArthur over the relationship between obedience and assurance and where that comes in the reality of our salvation. The great questions that come up from the book of James as compared to the writings of Paul are, man, there's a multitude. In other words, where do our works fit in in the process of our salvation? Or how necessary are works in securing or even in maintaining our salvation? Or basically, can we say that we have faith and continue to live like the world lives? Of course, neither James nor any of the scripture was ever written in a vacuum. There has to be, and, and there is, this, there is this direct uh, correlation, this, this agreement throughout scripture, theme and intent from Genesis through Revelation, the theme remains the same. Even though the surrounding elements, the circumstances of different times might, might change, the intent remains the same. From the Old Testament prophets uh, all the way to the messages of the apostles, from the, the writings in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all the way to the very teachings of Jesus there in the Beatitudes, if there is conflict or disagreement, guess what? It's our understanding of the surrounding events that are happening. That's where the problem comes. So the theme and the intent of all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles, the law versus grace, all of that, the theme and the intent of all of Scripture is that it is the love and grace of God reaching down to sinful man, making available the way of redemption through faith in that completed work of Jesus Christ. That's the theme. That's the intent. We find it all throughout Scripture. The unfortunate thing that we find today is that way too many, way too many, well-meaning Protestant theologians as well as Roman Catholics and then other uh, side branches of what we would declare to be true Christianity, they really compromise that idea and they bring in this alternate uh, concept and the, that, that's totally incorrect and actually to the point of heretical. And they actually lean into what I believe to be the teaching of the Judaizers. And you remember the teaching of the Judaizers. You, you, there, there, there was work that had to be done. You had to maintain the law. You had to go through the Jewish ceremonies in order to be a good Christian. There was rules and stuff that you had to make in order to gain salvation. So even in mainline Protestantism, we find this very thing going on. They, they, they primarily speak of Two justifications. That's the initial act of acceptance of, of through faith that Paul writes about. But then also that there is a final vindication or completeness that comes through what we read in James. The first justification is based on faith alone. The second, however, is based on works in addition to faith. In other words, 
although we are, yes, we are saved by faith and that not of ourselves, they also believe that we are eternally maintained by works of righteousness that we have done. And beloved, that, that's just wrong. They say that we are saved by faith, but we are maintained by works. And beloved, that is not the gospel. That's not good news. In reality, it's not even possible. Because if we are maintained by good works, guess what? Ain't none of us going to be able to do that. So again, um, going back to uh, Douglas Moo, he says that James, it'll be remembered, is not arguing that a Christian must add works to faith. He insists that true saving faith will work. In other words, there'll be something that you'll do because of it. Now, when we look at it in clarity and the overall theme and the intent of the scriptures, we actually find that rather than being in conflict with each other, Paul and James, actually they're they're complementary of each other. That's why Paul was so clear in Ephesians, and we keep forgetting this last verse in that Ephesians chapter 2 passage, when he writes that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see, Paul isn't saying anything different than what James is saying. How can it be any clearer than that? It is grace alone, through faith alone, that we're saved. We are brought into that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But as we are saved, uh, the, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives. And as he comes into our lives, he brings with him that ongoing and continual work of regeneration, drawing us, empowering us to work in obedience and faithfulness to the Father. Day to day, moment by moment, we're called to walk in obedience, doing the will of the one who saved us who purchased us with the precious blood of his dear son. It's an ongoing work of maturity within our lives that is called sanctification. We are saved, but we are growing in our salvation through that sanctification, through obedience, and through faithfulness. We are maturing in our walk. We're not getting, understand, we're not getting more saved We're growing in our salvation. We're created and and we're redeemed in him to live our lives in good works, which God planned beforehand. God had already established that beforehand. And if the Holy Spirit truly abides within us, and if we are believers, the Holy Spirit truly abides within us. The only reason the Holy Spirit would not be abiding in us is if we are not truly believers. If you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit abides within you. And if the Holy Spirit abides within you, we cannot live our lives outside of his will and purpose for very long without having the Father discipline and correct us for it. A loving Father disciplines his children. 
And if you're walking in unrepentant sin, if you're walking maybe not even on the edge, maybe you're even over the edge too much, and you haven't felt the disciplining hand, the chastisement of your father because of your sin, perhaps maybe you need to, again, examine yourselves, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Examine yourself, see whether you're actually in the faith. He says to test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified? One of the things that we know that we are in the Lord is when the Holy Spirit begins, again, bringing that correction, speaking into our lives. This relates exactly to what James encourages the believers to do in chapter 1. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James knew that if all you're doing is hearing the word and at the end of the message you applaud and it's very good, it made me feel good, and yet you go out the doors and you live the same way the rest of the world does, then you're deceiving yourself. You think that you're saved because you come into the church. Coming into the church does nothing. It's when you enter into the presence of God Almighty through the shed blood of Jesus Christ by faith in that completed work, surrendering your life to him. That's where it changes. So although we haven't yet quite got into James yet, as we close, uh, be, be assured of this one thing. James does not write about a works-based salvation or even with that frame of mind. He writes with a live in obedience to the one who has saved you frame of mind. You know the old saying, dance with the one who brought you? No, live in obedience to the one who saved you. That's where we need to be. Our salvation is not based on our works. I want you to catch this. Our salvation is not based on our works. But our works are based on our salvation. If we are saved, there will be a life that demonstrates the change. James writes the letter as as a warning against disobedience. He writes to them because he knows that they're facing trials and troubles and persecutions in that present world. Also, the, the, the witness of their lives to, to those that are still in the world. The question really comes to mind, could our disobedience, as professing believers, could our disobedience actually keep someone from coming to faith in Christ, the very one that you say you follow? When they look at our lives and say, I don't want some of that. The word says that we're to be salt and light. I, I, I love that idea of salt, and I know that most preach on that as that preserving factor of, of our lives, being salt to the world. But I, this world is not going to be preserved. This world, just as uh, Ken Ross shared with his son, it's all, it's all going to burn. I, I look at it as we're salt. We're making other people thirsty for what we have, that, that we're drawing people to it. And are we that way? Do our lives actually show that? That's what I see the book of James being all about. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word. Make us more.